Uh, hey everybody, Space Anime, Podcast of the Galactic Heroes, etc. We're here. We did it, it's the last <laughs> one. We are here, this is the last episode, for, for better or worse. Um, I think it's better. Yeah. We had a fun time, at least I did. Oh yeah, yeah, no, I mean more just like, that it is ending. Oh. It is, if it is for better or worse, that it is ending. I see. Um... Yeah, so uh, we only have two episodes, 109 and 110, to uh, wrap up, and then we'll just uh, talk about how we felt about the last 23, 24 weeks of viewing, something like that. <laughs> so, yeah. um, I guess we might as well just hop right in. Uh, episode 109 starts out with Izzlehorn getting news of the truce. Um, this made people cheer, they were very happy for it. And then they got a list yeah. of everybody who died, and they saw, like, Murkatz, Shenkop, Mashenko on it. And, and, and just to clarify, because this messed me up a lot when the episode was starting, they the truce, they're just talking about, like, the temporary ceasefire while they wait to have the talks, not, like, a result of the talks. Oh, yeah, they haven't done any of that yet. Just Ryan yeah, said, we because should stop that, fighting. Yeah, the way it was presented, and it might have partially been just the localization being a little sloppy, it was super unclear, and I thought they just, like had time skipped to after the talk that is not the case it was just yeah people celebrating we're not shooting at each other for a minute yeah it's pretty nice also, also it wasn't machingo who died it was machungo oh did they spell that wrong yeah that's what i love it, it was just uh, it just said louis machungo of his name um They've narrated notes that the rosen redders in particular had their unit triple quadruple decimated um Almost all of them died. Mm -hmm. um, we get a scene of Frederica on video chat, chatting with Julian, getting the news. Um, she's kind of happy in a roundabout way that he's still alive. Um, she was kind of scolding him for going off and fighting wars or whatever. But she asked him what he's going to do because um, I guess she wasn't too knowledgeable about what was going on anyway. Uh, he tells mm -hmm. them they're going to gather the remaining Izzlehorn forces and go with Reinhardt back to Fazan and then try to have some beatings. Um, his tentative plan was to give up Islehorn to try to get Highness in political autonomy, um, and then to ask Ryan to adopt a constitutional parliament government. Uh, Frederick is cool with this, um, and the narrator notes that since uh, at this point, since they're trying to coexist, co uh, they need to use more diplomatic than military power. So, like getting rid of Islehorn is kind of okay. Plus, I don't think any of them wanted to live on there for the rest of their lives. Yeah. <laughs> so. Frederica is cool with this. She tells Kazern she's probably going to have to go do a lot of politicking to take care of the place while she leaves. <laughs> it was just one last, hey, Kazern, you know how you like take care of every single logistical arrangement we do in this whole place? <sighs> yeah. You know how every time there's some big disaster <laughs> or we need 5,000 people to leave, you miraculous, miraculously like set up all the ships and the food and everything really quickly? <sighs> yeah. Going to need one more of those. How good do you think yeah. Kazern is at pivot tables in Excel? Like, this guy Incredible. must be the fucking master of that shit. Yeah, god tier of pivot tables. <laughs> <laughs> so, she goes back to her room. Um, she sees a picture of Yang. She, like, thanks him for all he's done trying to make life for her and everyone else better, all that, etc. The Ulysses, we get a shot of it. Um, it's the narrator notes it's the lucky battleship, so it survived. But right now it's acting more of the hospital ship. We have a scene of inside the hallways of everybody's like injured, lying around. Popolon and Dusty like put some ferns in a corner and are hiding behind them and drinking. 
I, they set up like a little a little club room for themselves between two really firms. Stupid. They just like put some on a wall and are just like, this is where we live. <laughs> Don't come back here. Um I forgot which one of them said it, but I, uh, one of them was saying that like they don't want to die now because if they do, they'll have to meet Shank Hop and all of his buddies in the afterlife, and that's not something new. Uh, it, it was specifically, too, it was like, I don't want to go there. I'll go down to hell and be met with Shen Kop fucking witches, basically. <laughs> like, he was like, he was like with a coven of witches at his side. Like, he just implies that, like, Shen Kop within 30 minutes of going to hell is just banging every witch he can, which I do appreciate. Fits with the character, yeah. <laughs> um, so, I think uh, Dusty was teasing Pope Juan for turning 30 or whatever. It doesn't really matter. Mm. They ask where Julian is. He is down looking for Cataros. I guess she was in the fighter bay, like, with trying to have some alone time. Uh, she was singing this song, which was really bad in the translation, um, saying that her mother used to sing it for Shenkop. Uh, the entire scene is her having conflicted feelings about her father's death. Um, she's mad he's gone. Like, she wanted to play a prank on him by saying that she was going to have a kid and make him a grandfather. She she wanted to get Julian killed is what she meant, actually. <laughs> she didn't know that, but that is what the result would have been. <laughs> but um, she does eventually just break, di- break down and start crying in uh, Julian's arms. Um, she asks him if he loves her. He says yes. They have a moment to rock on Narrator says yes. They get hitched. It's not a particularly great scene. Yeah. It kind of did feel like they were like, oh, crap, we kind of shoehorned in this romance, and we have to close it out in three minutes. Well, all right, here we go. <laughs> like, that's kind of what it felt like. like. Just very accelerated. Okay, here's her walking up to her while she's singing. Now she's sad. Now they kissed, and they got married. <laughs> the end. <laughs> like, yep. Yeah, they just need to tie up that loose end, I guess. Yeah. Um, Julian makes his way back up to Dusty's drinking fun time corner. Um, Julian or Dusty makes fun of him for having lipstick on his face because he's oblivious. It was to like it. he he didn't have lipstick. He was just like they got lipstick on your face. Oh shit! Nah, I'm just kidding you. She doesn't wear lipstick. Why don't you know that you fucker? Oh. Yeah, he was. Yeah, he was roasting her for that. He's like, you don't even know that your girlfriend doesn't wear lipstick. Jesus. Julian's <laughs> like, um, well, um, I'll be sure to find that out from now on. <laughs> <laughs> um, Dusty asks him when the meeting is because I guess he's the only one who knows really and he says that the uh, that Reinhardt is currently sick so it's kind of up in the air they're kind of waiting um, Dusty thinks it's kind of idiotic that so many people had to die in order to get a meeting between these two people um, they, th- they talk about how many billions of gallons of blood have been spilt between all these fights and all that mm-hmm. So and they, then we get the the head admirals or the high admirals and the fleet admirals all meeting up and uh, they finally catch a word that Ryan has his what is it like an intractable um, they just made shit up I think yeah I, I, the term they used it was like a collagen disease and I don't know if they meant like a flesh eating virus or like what they were going for with that. Yeah. I don't They just kind of make up a medical condition, but the- my only regret is that I still have bonitis. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The, the I mean, takeaway like, is that he is terminally ill. Um, yeah. I mean, for what it's worth, that's what like collagen diseases generally are is just like long-term breakdown of connective tissues and stuff like that. I don't know if they would make you, cough and randomly tired though i don't know that 
And I just threw a bottle on the ground because I'm so uncertain about this. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. Yeah, so the admirals are having a meeting getting this information. Uh, Bittenfield pops off and he's angry that Oberstein is not dying instead of Reinhardt. Uh, Mittmeyer. Oh, Bittenfield pops off. You don't say. Yeah, Legend of Galactic Heroes, Bittenfield pops off. Bittenfield pops off at nothing. Yeah. <laughs> Mittenmeyer tells him to fucking cool down because, you know, it makes Ryan and all the people under him mad. But secretly, Mittenmeyer was also very upset about this. Um, he retires to his room and we see him like, he fucking. Well, there's one other thing is um, uh, Wallen and B- Wallen kind of tells Bittenfield to calm down. The first time Wallen's actually showing a little bit of anger and then somebody throws water on them. <laughs> oh, yeah. It was the silent guy. Throws yeah, water on Yeah, that's right. It was, uh, uh, begins with an E. Eisenach. Yeah. <laughs> so Mittmeyer's anger about this stuff too. Um, we see a scene of him retiring to his quarters, downing like a f- whole bottle of whiskey and then hoping that Ryan's okay. And then later on we get a dream sequence of him watching Reinhardt walk off to, I guess, Valhalla, the gates of Valhalla and seeing all the other dead Galactic Empire admirals waiting for him there and starts pleading saying, please don't go believe me, etc. Um, Mittenmeyer just like, come on, I can't be the last one of our group. I was the least competent. Come on, guys. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's great because like Mittenmeyer always does act like that. Like around everybody, he's like, oh, I'm just the, I'm just the schmuck. They just bring me along. Like all the, I mean, of the four of them, I guess, making yeah. it out. Yeah, I mean, between, yeah, it was, what, Reinhardt, Kirkyeis, and, which, uh, to be fair, we don't know if Kirkyeis actually was going to be that good or not. Uh, and then. Rudenthal um, was the last one. Rudenthal, yeah. And I mean, I mean, if he's such a schmuck, he's the only one alive. <laughs> you know, maybe he's, you know, not that much. I mean, Reinhardt's death isn't really his fault for what that's worth. Yeah, but I mean, the whole <laughs> attitude. Oh, I get a peaceful wife with a loving wife and son. Damn it. <laughs> So, um, a week or so later, the Galactic Empire force, along with the Izzlehorn, remaining Izzlehorn forces, land on Heineson. Um, there's a scene of Julian, Popolon, and Dusty, like, noting that shit has changed on the planet. Like, every, it's a backwater now instead of a capital, and so everybody's just kind of getting by, and no one really cares about democracy. Um, he lists off a bunch of things like freedom, autonomy, independence, self-respect, and, like, everybody lost those ideals since they've been conquered and taken over. Um... Julian goes to the hospital to meet with Mirai, who's still recovering from the whole riot thing. Uh, they are giving up. Uh, he tells them the plans that they're giving up Islehorn, but uh, Mirai's like, yeah, that's probably the right thing to do. It's a step towards a new era. You don't need Islehorn anymore. Uh, Julian then meets with... Yeah, basically like, hey, we're happy we got Islehorn and held it down if this is the result of it. Like, yeah. yeah. Um, he then meets with Wallen. Um, Wallen is wondering where he's seen Julian before, and uh, Julian gives it up that he was back on Earth pretending to be a Fazani spy. It's really good, too, because he's like, oh, hey, sorry, I had to deceive you back on Earth, and Wallen's response is just like, ah, dude, it's cool, you were doing spy shit, I was doing military, we good. Like, <laughs> And Julian just seems like really taken aback by someone actually just being like, nah, we good, dude, that was wartime, shit happens, like, we were yeah. trying to kill each other, <laughs> it's, it's fine. Uh, he also meets again with Mueller. Um, Mueller pops the question of who is more fortunate, the fact that Julian had no warning of Yang's death or that Mueller knows that Ryan is going to die um, in terms of like the grieving that has to be done. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a later shot of Julian being taken someplace on a car. He uh, is thinking about how he's glad that he can talk like friendly and frankly to these former enemies, but also wondering if history is going to judge him for you know handshaking other mass murderers. 
That, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that seems like a very Yang thing. That is kind of wild. How many people did you there. kill? Oh, that's nothing. <laughs> um, we have a scene of Boris uh, is in the hotel trying to figure out how to build Isolhorn <laughs> for blockade running for like a year. Um, it's awesome. Like he's sitting down there and he's just like working on some spreadsheets and shit. And the guy's like, hey, what are you doing? He's like, oh, I have to, now that Isselhorn is done, i got to figure out what their bill is. Their bill? Yeah, man. Running info ain't free. He's like, oh, you weren't doing it for the good of democracy? He's like, fuck no, man. I was doing it for money. Got to get paid. paid. <laughs> got to get paid. <laughs> uh, but his future plans is he's going to stop the whole blockade running thing to become an information dealer, an info broker, I guess. I don't know. Um, it's also brought up during the scene that uh, Rubinsky is in the hospital dying and I guess started a hunger strike because, I mean, if you're going to die, why not give it to the man one last time? Mm-hmm. So we see a shot of Rubinsky in the hospital. He's on some life support equipment. He is able to pull out a wire that is going into his neck and this ends up killing him. Yeah, like they had military guards out front of the door, and I don't know if they were worried about him being assassinated. Like, I guess they weren't worried about him killing himself because they just fucking let him hang out. That's well, also why like, he was starving himself, just so that, you know, whenever he did do something like that, his system would already be weak enough to where, you know, it'd make it even harder for him to live. That's true. Yeah. And it's, like, at first I thought it was like a feeding tube or something, but no, it's like, it's like a blood valve that's yeah. going directly into his fucking artery in his neck or something, or like ten arteries in his neck, because it's just like a full garden hose. Oh, no, my life force juice, my plug. Red- <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, it's just like it's like oh no, my essence. What I, what I also what I also like is that the, the nurse walks in and she screeches. It's like you're a nurse. You've seen blood before. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, like it is funny. Like he pulls out and it is a garden hose. Like I don't, I'm not a it's doctor, a but hose. I don't think that much yeah. blood's supposed to be in your neck. Like maybe it was like some weird dialysis thing, maybe, but yeah, maybe that he was has way some, too much bandwidth. Maybe he had like um, a, a space tumor that was eating blood, and they had to pump fresh blood into him. They didn't need to pump it back out. <laughs> I don't know. Way, it's space disease. So, you should ask one of those six doctors. I guess maybe they know better. <laughs> so Rabinsky fucking yanks the blood hose out of his neck, uh, bleeds out. He does in fact die. Uh, and then the world starts exploding. Yeah, <laughs> that was without wow. without any reason or explanation at first. It's just Mister Mean finally pulls the plug on him, ding dang self, and then everything blows up. Not metaphorically, quite literally. Like bombs are going off everywhere, and then they explain, oh, he had a dead man switch in him that was originally supposed to be like two explosives in him or something, but he just used it and repurposed it and hooked up it like to all these bombs on Heineken or some shit or Fazan. Did they say yeah, something right. like like half of the capital city was destroyed or something ridiculous? There like were a that? lot of it. I mean they later say that like five thousand people died and like yeah. half a million people were injured. But I forgot what it was. They said a, a portion of the of the capital was destroyed. It was a pretty substantial amount. It's just like wow God, and also after the first, like, the defective mining equipment blowing everything up incident. That was on Heineken, though. But it's still the same ruler. <laughs> like, watch your tubes, boys. Like, watch yeah. your tubes. <laughs> no one's watching their tubes and getting blown up. So, while everything's fucking exploding. <laughs> um, Do we have any Zephyr particle tanks down here? Nope, just a bunch of hydrogen tanks everywhere. Well, okay. <laughs> 
while everything's exploding, <laughs> Reinhardt is chilling someplace, like at an art museum, like on a sofa. I, I don't know, but Bittenfield runs in, tells him, listen, shit's exploding in fires. We need to get you out of here. Ryan just doesn't want to leave. He's, like, on this couch, and, like, I don't know if he's, like, bedridden on no, the couch, but I'm he just doesn't want to get I'm just super cozy right now, guys. Well, what he said, which I think was maybe the best excuse and something that I'm going to say if someone tries to wake me up in the morning and I don't want to is... If I'm going to die on Heisen, I'm going to die here. And I kind of want to just use that of, if I'm going to die on Earth, I want to die here. And then I'm going to roll over and go back to sleep. Because that's basically what Ryan does. And then Bittenfield just runs up and is like, you fucking dumb it. And just like lifts the couch and fucking carries Ryan out with yeah, the they, couch. He gets his underlings like to carry him out of the car. It's amazing. <laughs> so we, as this is happening, we get like the narrator saying that later Mecklinger would give, uh, like, criticize Bittenfield about this. Like... Mechlinger was saying I, it was because of Bittenfield's disregard for everything that he was able to safely get Ryan out, but like yeah, he also let the museum burn really, down. I don't really get what the narrator was talking about there because it looks like it looked like for some reason they barely got Reinhardt out of there in time, and it's like, what are you, what are you going to do? Put him down and grab a few paintings? It's like you know, well, no, that was it, it. Was Mechlinger was like very reluctantly giving a compliment to Bittenfield? It seemed like because it seems like it was like. Mecklinger was admitting this was something worth comp- complimenting, but he like hated Bittenfield so much that he felt the need to weave in a little "fuck you." And in this case, it was it was a, he was basically like, "Yeah," and Bittenfield managed to uh, evacuate him immediately and get him out safe. And I guess it was fortunate that uh, someone in there with a uh, any kind of understanding of culture or art or appreciation of anything of that was in there because they might have tried to grab some paintings and they might not have gotten out of there fast enough so i mean good thing fucking dum-dum was there like it's it's just a super backhanded like grumble grumble you did the right thing once kind of thing yeah so Oberstein figured out that rubinsky was eventually like behind the bombings and he does another roundup of you know suspected people uh, one of the people he finds is Dominic, uh, um, which is Rubinsky's friend, coaster. I don't know what they were to each the other. Semi-mistress, yeah, whatever. Like yeah. So they interrogate her. Um, Oberstein in particular asks her about Elf's whereabouts, but like doesn't follow up on it. I don't know where he was going with that, because earlier it said like he never talked about Rubins- or Rutenthal's rebellion ever again. But Yeah, and it seems like it was just... It seemed to me like it was more just to try and shake her and like can be like, I know everything you're involved with because like, I see. that yeah, seems like the most side business for for Rubinsky and her right like the whole elf thing was just that weird little side deal that Dominique took that was like the one thing that we know for certain Dominique took care of yeah. that hasn't really been talked about publicly that much so the fact that Oberstein knew like that tiny of a detail. Even if, and, and like he just walks up from the shadows and is just like, so do you know where uh, someone named Elfid is? And, and she's just like, she gets this startled look and just like, no. And then he's like, okay, very good. And then just backs away. But it's pretty clear that he's like, yeah, yeah I think all I was right. trying to spook her, you're right. <laughs> exactly, yeah. He was just trying to scare her by being like, I actually know everything. <laughs> so uh, she's eventually released and the narrator says she disappears like forever. No one knows where she went. Um, we then cut to Julian and Reinhardt having the official meeting. Um, uh, Julian, or Reinhardt asks Julian what his, like, how old he is, and he responds like 19 or whatever. Reinhardt says that like he was still under the Golden Bomb Dynasty at 19 and thought he could conquer it all, to which Julian says, well, you kind of did. Um, <laughs> yeah, like, well, I mean, 
You, yeah, you did it. <laughs> That's, I mean, like, it is weird that Reinhardt's just like, I almost conquered space. And everyone's like, you did conquer space, dude. Like, that happens a bunch of times in the last couple episodes in this one, where Ryan just, like, gets into his sick sad boy mode and looks at the sky and is like, wish I had gotten that. And, like, everyone is like, you, dog, you do. You did, what? <laughs> so he asks Julian about the good ideas that he had back on his uh, spaceship when during the battle to prevent the illness of the Galactic Empire, I think he phrased it. Um, Julian says that it's a constitution and a parliament. Um, they have a discussion about uh, how these could be like the vessels for which a good government could be filled, and they make some wine analogies or something. Julian says it takes time to make a good government, and then he realizes that Reinhardt is not long for this world, and so kind of takes it back. Um, Reinhardt He's like, said, oh, we'll probably see some results in about five, ten years. Oh, right. <laughs> Uh, Reinhardt says uh, that he's got to go back to Fazant and that Julian should come with him to meet the next leader, referring to Hilda. Uh, Julian, there's then a scene of Julian saying goodbye to Murkatz's underling, Schneider, who I guess is going to bring Murkatz's remains back to his family, who he has not seen for four years. I guess. Yeah, I forgot about his family. I thought they died or something like that. No, that that was the thing he left them behind. So. Damn. Yeah, Murkatz is uh, stone cold like that. Yeah, fuck. But uh, that kind of wraps up that plot thread, I guess. And then the last part of this episode is just saying that Brian Hart is on his last journey to Fazan because the narrator likes to spoil everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, episode 110 starts out with uh, order being restored at Heinesen. Uh They find in a hospital bed uh, Schumacher, who was one of the dudes oh. who kidnapped the old king. Yeah, the old, yeah. Sorry, I totally, the old I'd king. totally forgotten about this scene. Yeah. The old kid yeah. king. Yeah, this dude was, like, the, not, like, the little wiener dude. This was, like, the big, beefy farmer guy mm-hmm. who was just, like, admiral, I just want to yeah. retire on my he farm was, after I steal the king. Like, he that He served dude. directly under Flagle, on Flagle's ship. He was basically, yeah, kind of. He was, he was kind of tricked. Like, this was mm-hmm. kind of the guy who was tricked into going along with the whole kidnapping the, the child king plot. But, yeah. So, uh, he uh, lets it slip that the dead <clears throat> kid that was with Landsberg, the crazy dude, wasn't actually the king, or, well, the kid king, but was some corpse mm. he stole from a morgue because he, like, went insane. Um, yeah, like, as soon as Landsberg went bonkers, they just, like, took the kid away from him and kind of left him to his own devices, which is, is what it sounds like. kind of interesting because they said when they were looking at the corpse, they said it seemed to be a sign, the kid, I mean, the corpse, they said, died from starvation, so this means that... Whatever kid he found was probably just some urchin or something like that that died yeah. on the streets. They yep. don't explain. I think they said the kid escaped. Like just yeah, he ran, ran away, and, that, yep. and that's just they never really follow up on what happened to the kid emperor. He at that point there weren't any other retainers, and he ran off on his own. Well, who knows what happened? For right now, he's just a kid. Yeah. Which I guess you know what. That's an all right ending for yeah, a kid like who's I largely guess. innocent. He kind of really hasn't done anything I mean, wrong. he's a brat, but that's kind of a result <laughs> yeah. of his upbringing. So. He was a brat, but yeah, he's a baby. Now he's, he's off playing baby. Fortnite and dabbing or something. Damn, I hope he's flossing. <laughs> Fl- <laughs> flossing out there for the monarchy. <laughs> so the last thing that comes out of this interrogation is that there are still terrorists alive on Fazant, and they are still gunning for Reinhardt, so... Um, the police people interviewing him kind of go tell Reinhardt that. Reinhardt, um, he said, they ask him, like, what he wants to do with himself. And he's like, listen, dog, I just want to go back to my farm and do what I was doing before. 
Uh, but the narrator notes that when he got back to his farm, all of his buddies would have left. Um, and then later he became a captain on some ship fighting pirates and then later went missing in action. So. Yeah, I really kind of feel bad for Schumacher's whole story. Cause, um, he got duped into being a Yeah, idiot. it's just repeatedly gets the short end of the stick. And even at the end, I mean, they they said that um, they let him back into the military and that he had, he was a pretty decent rank. And, you know... Yeah, because what, what had happened to Schumacher was um, <clears throat> he apparently was just like super duper, uh, what do you say, like uh, he, he worked with them. I don't know why that word is evading me, but uh, he, he just spilled the beans as soon. He was cooperative. Yeah, he yeah. just cooperated fully. Like as soon as they were like, hey, do you have any information? He's like, actually, I have all the information. Would you like it? And they're like, yes, please. And he It's the it final him. episode. I can't drag this along anymore. What do you want? <laughs> yeah, like, oh, no more time to tell you, so fuck it. Here we go. I mean, I'm bedridden. Uh, yeah, I feel like I can't get away. <laughs> he uh, initially tried to go back to his farm, apparently, but like when he returned there, like it had been years. The farm was gone. The people who worked there had left. Like It, it was abandoned because he abandoned it. And oh, then right. I was the only one who knew how to farm i guess it's a bad idea that i left them alone <laughs> yeah oh crap uh and then yeah then they explained yeah then he became a captain and stuff but yeah imagine too him just kind of like taking this huge trip because if i remember right it was closer to the odin side where his farm and shit was so assuming they got him in like heineson in a hospital or Fazan, either of them it's like what like a four month trip eight month if it's fucking heineson so he just like flew for four or six months or something landed and was like oh shit right i wasn't here they probably let fuck and then had to fly back somewhere else <laughs> it's a little harvest moon there's just weeds everywhere yeah oh, <laughs> god damn it <laughs> so uh we get a shot of ryan's ship traveling back to uh Fazand. uh he and julian have spent a lot of the time just talking um i guess they're good talking buddies uh they talk about yang and also about politics both of them agree that Izzelhorn needs to be handed over to the Empire and that the Balat Star Zone, which is where Heineson is, should be uh, not autonomous. Um, however, Ryan is a bit more cautious about the whole constitutional parliamentary thing that Julian wanted. Um, he doesn't really intend to sanction the continuation of a democracy without any resistance. He thinks he should still hold some power or his predecessor or successors should hold some power. He has this whole thing of like, the power needs to be held by the strongest person and by a ruler who is strong enough to take the reins and everything. Basically, he wants it to be himself as the leader forever. But, but you know, he's dying, so that's not likely going to happen. But he's just, I don't know, it seems like he's very wary of democracy because of Trudit. Yeah. <laughs> because also, Trudit like things. They also note that he doesn't want the value system that survived the war, referring to democracy, to become corrupt again in peace. Like, he's kind of concerned that if he gives up too much uh, power like that, it could become corrupt via the slow mm -hmm. process that the democracy did. Yeah. Um, they arrive on uh, Fazant. He sees his wife and new kid. Um, Dusty, Popolon, Julian Caterose are also, like, there... For whatever reason, they went along with him. Um, they talk about the future. Popelon says, jokingly, he kind of wants to become a space pirate. Um, I don't think that's very serious of him, though. So they learned um, through... I forgot who they were talking to about this. But that uh, Trunit, through all of his like, trickery bullshit during... The this was just an aside. I don't think it was like direct information from anybody. They just were like, yeah, like someone let it slide. That Yeah, exactly, yeah. 
<clears throat> Trunet was also trying to Inst- institute a constitution and a parliament and all that. Yeah, and Julian was super upset that they both had the same goal, but for like completely different reasons. Yeah, it's like Trunet wanted to install it so he could, you know, abuse it and manipulate it and get comfortable again. Yeah. So the narrator notes that Ryan's condition has gone uh, broken down and has become way worse. He is now kind of bedridden. Um, he, they even show that he stops breathing for a bit. Uh, that's not a good sign. Yeah, they show is like he, he stops breathing, and I guess his heart also must have stopped because they bring out defibrillar, the defibrillating paddles, or you know however it's yeah. pronounced. And you don't do that when someone stops breathing. You do that to try and get their heart from shuddering back into a normal rhythm. You're you're trying to keep their heart from fibrillating or like you know kind of like shaking and quivering. So his heart stopped. Yeah, <laughs> which is generally bad. <laughs> so the emperor, all the admirals are uh, summoned. Um, they're all sitting around in a room, including Oberstein. Uh, Oberstein leaves for a bit to go run an errand for five minutes. Um, oh my god. Oberstein <laughs> just stands up and says, I have to I have to go take a dump. Yeah. Uh, I've gotta go take a wicked shit. <laughs> just, the thing drive is, if, Yeah, I've I've gotta go use my special toilet. <laughs> just, I'll be back never. <laughs> so uh Kessler thinks it's ironic Reinhardt conquered the galaxy, but he's stuck in bed. Uh Bittenfield gets mad at the doxters. Uh I think Bittenfield he starts mad again. <laughs> yeah. I think Wallen's like, listen, dude, chill, and Bittenfield's like, no fuck you. And so this this is when the silent admiral throws the water at oh, them. Okay. Oh, the fuck off. Yeah, because this is uh it was Bittenfield just like fucking is popping off and doing his normal thing. And I think it was Wallen like stood up and was like, Hey dog, we can't just be your tranquilizers all the time, man. You need to learn to fucking chill on your own once in a while. And Bittenfield, of course, then further pops off. <laughs> a reasoned response. <laughs> yeah, it's like, hmm, I wonder what Bittenfield's response is to anything. Oh, weird. He got more angry. <laughs> so we see a scene of Reinhardt uh, telling Hildegard how to finish the Requiem Mass in D. Um, he's giving orders. Never mind. Mittenmeyer um, gets summoned, and like all the admirals in the room with him are like, "Oh shit, this is not good." But um, it's really he gets summoned because Ryan wants Mittenmeyer to go get his wife and kids. Uh, and yeah, like, like he's just like, "I just I want to see your cool baby, please come, please bring your baby." And Mittenmeyer's just like, "Okay," <laughs> like it's great because he's just kind of like, "Yes, sir," and walks off. Yeah, he's confused like, as hell, what? but uh, he runs yeah. off and goes and gets his kids. Uh, he also summons Julian um, via some person that came to Julian's room. Julian is uh, thinking about how he's about to see the end of an era right now because he knows everybody knows Ryan's about to die. So, yeah, um, they get to uh, Julian gets into Ryan's house because I guess they were down the street at the hotel or something. Um, they see the princess uh, Anna Rose for the first time, and Julian, of course, thinks that she's the entire reason that all the history in the past four years has occurred. Uh, Anna Rose has gone back into Ryan's room and he knows he's about to die. Like the light in his eyes are going out, they say, and everything like that. Uh, Reinhardt starts just talking about a dream he had. And this kind of breaks Anna Rose's heart because... It's the weird relationship they have where they very quickly devolve into like way too emotional of discussions in a weird way. (laughs) Yeah. And he does it again. He's just kind of like, I had a dream about... Stuff being super nice. And then she's just like, I mean, 
It's okay. She's sad because her brother's dying. I think that's fair. Yeah. <laughs> I guess I'll, okay, I'll give her that. Yeah. <laughs> um he also gives her his locket, the one he always strokes with Kilky Ice's hair in it. Um they think he died for a second, but he really just went to sleep because I guess the guy at the machine behind saw that it was still beeping or whatever. The, the, the scale on the bed where they were situated is also really off because he like reaches his arm slightly over and hands her the um, the pendant and it zooms out and he's basically on a gigantic king-sized bed oh, yeah, right in huge. the center of it. And it's like, wow, he's got a long arm. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, the, the scene is really good too because they end on like, you know, this very dramatically appropriate like ending dialogue and then he closes his eyes and everyone's like, <gasps> and then it's just like, beep. He fell asleep, you idiots. He just fell asleep, guys. It's cool. Yeah, no, this beepity beep thing makes sure his heart is going. Yeah, no, he's good. If this thing's beeping, yeah, no, he's fine. It's the machine yeah, that fine. goes ping. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's like, he's like, all this thing does is tell us if he's alive, actually. so just if, it, if it starts it. quacking like a duck, then that means he's died. That's how these things work now. <laughs> yeah, we decided to try and soften the blow with some <laughs> nice nature sound. <laughs> just beep, beep. It fucking Whack. makes the duck game sound just constantly. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Kessler gets a note that there's been a bombing elsewhere in the neighborhood. He goes off to do his Kessler thing. Uh, Oberstein comes back into Ryan's house, tells them that the terrorists are going to make an attempt <laughs> on Ryan. Oberstein comes Hurts. back and says, I finished taking a huge dump. <laughs> I, was doing, I was doing nothing suspicious. <laughs> He uh, tells all the admirals that the terrorists will come take an attempt on uh, Ryan's life again. Mecklinger is wondering, well, why the hell are they doing it now? He's obviously about to die. Couldn't they just wait? But Oberstein reveals that they ha- he has lured them out saying that Reinhardt is getting better. So Mecklinger... Yeah, he said, like, Reinhardt was about to get better, and as soon as he does, his first act is going to be to, like, blow up end Earth. the rest of the terrorists. Yeah, he, like, he said literally he's... blow up Earth, which is like, oh, shit. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah, 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 that's what it was. Yeah, he was like, he's like, yeah, as soon as he's better, he's just going to fucking blow up the Earth to spite you so that your religion dies. And it's like, man, Oberstein, that's a bit of a fake leak. That's maybe a bit much. Yeah, so Mechlater <laughs> is obviously pissed at him, starts yelling at him, but uh, Oberstein tells him that Reinhardt is dead regardless of what happens but doing this will also kill the terrorist and be better for the nation as a whole in the future to which just ringing kind of a dis- dinner bell my dudes yeah uh bittenfield obviously is very angry and is about to punch oberstein again but uh mueller holds him off uh outside the terrorists are starting to try to infiltrate the manor they're doing a bad job because they start immediately getting shot by all the guards probably because they're all super drugged out <laughs> yeah uh julian and co are in this like waiting room and they think it's weird, uh, like, they're just kind of sitting there, and Julian's thinking how it's weird that the Galactic Empire and Isilhorn should have a mutual hatred of the terrorists, which kind of brought them together. But um, they kind of break out of the room when they start hearing gunfire, which I don't know if that's the smartest decision they've ever made. Yeah, I mean, I don't know, like, maybe they were worried about getting, like, caught inside, locked in. Yeah. Or maybe at this point, Julian has a taste for a battle and can't help himself. Yeah. Oh yeah, Julian has to kill somebody. So mm-hmm. they sneak out, they take down like two or three terrorists and get themselves some guns. Um, they eventually find themselves outside and they uh, start shooting some of the people. There was like four terrorists outside and they shoot all but one of them. So the last dude, uh, he asked the last dude where the Grand Bishop is. And the guy said, laughs and kind of points on the ground behind him. They go over to the corpse where the Grand Bishop is. And it's actually kind of like Scooby-Doo masks. He like pulls a mask off the face and it's just... It was old man dude. Withers all along. 
Yeah, like it's like the Mission Impossible. A hundred and ten episodes all to get Spanish doubloons. (laughs) The big reveal. (laughs) The wealth of the 15th century Spanish doubloon heist. Francis Drake's treasure is mine. <laughs> so this analogy, which one is Scrappy-Doo? It's another Doo? clue. Damn it. <laughs> which one's Scrappy-Doo? Poplon. Okay. Easy. I figured. Poplon free. He, yeah. he, he's, all, he's all about the puppy power. So the last guy is revealed to actually be the villain. Does that mean says, that Shinkop is basically Scooby-Doo? Sh- yes. Shinkop is the entirety of the Harlem Globetrotters. <laughs> Okay, yeah, no, they're, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. the Rosenritter, yeah, the Rosenritter are just the Harlem Globetrotters, okay, yeah, yeah, <laughs> So, yeah, the, the last guy is actually revealed to be the Viller, um, he has been using fake Grand Bishops to get what he wants, um, uh, basically by brainwashing dudes and pretending that they're uh, Grand Bishops or whatever. Julian gets super furious about figuring out that this is the Villar because he knows the Villar was responsible for Yang's death and just starts shooting him while yelling at him. Um, yeah, like, he, he, the Villar is kind of like, oh, well, you don't, ah, god damn it. And Julian's just like, fuck you. And he's like, well, you should be shooting it right not. And then Julian just, like, shoots him again. It's like, fuck you. Like, if you shoot well, me, you, that makes me you the bad guy. Oh. <laughs> if you shoot, yeah, if you shoot me, that makes me the bad guy. Guess I'm the bad guy. Fuck you. Shoots him again. Yeah, he's just like, he's like, oh, well, you know, if this is for democracy, I'm really not the person. He's like, fuck democracy. This is because you killed Yang. Like, yeah. and just I really, shoots him in the head. I really like so that good. because as soon as he finds out who he is he doesn't even give him time to monologue or anything he's just kind of like oh no i've waited for this and just starts plugging away at him yeah mm-hmm. the uh, one thing i thought was weird here was how Devillier, when he was caught he seemed like he it he seemed like it was still according to plan somehow i don't really know what his angle was here. i don't know maybe I he think was it's just the true knit thing where they always are trying to play to an out and he thought his best out there was to act like this was all part of the plan, and shooting him would do Probably. nothing, and all that stuff. Yeah, I, I think, think he, he was, was trying just, to play to Julian's like. He wasn't expecting ideals. someone to shoot an, shoot an unarmed man, I guess. Yeah. He was maybe expecting like Yang. You know who probably would be more reluctant to do that, and mm-hmm. he got Julian, who was not reluctant to do that. I think that was a big part of it, and maybe like part of what the series was trying to present of just a difference between Yang and Julian, because Yang would not have done that. Yeah. Ever. yeah. Ever. Meanwhile, Julian yeah. was like, "Well, I killed an odd number of people today. I need to make this an even number." <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Wallen steps in, uh, seeing all, hearing all the gunshots outside. Um, they ask if Ryan's okay. Ryan is okay, but it cuts to a scene of Oberstein laying on a couch, missing most of his right side. Oh, yeah, there was an explosion they heard just um, as the terrorists were running out before the whole gunfight. There was an explosion, and that's why they caught them all outside. Yeah, th- yeah, the terrorists thought they had blown up Ryan, but instead they had blown up Oberstein. Uh, he is very dead, like, it, the, his entire right side's missing, really. Um, yeah, in in the information he leaked, he gave them like a specific room Reinhardt was going to be in, and instead, actually, it was him in that room. Yeah, uh, for the record, yeah, yeah. So um, <clears throat> he died in the place of the Kaiser. Uh, the narrator muses that no one knows if this was a self sacrifice or a mistake on his part, and like history will never know, and like people will debate it forever. But um, the other good part is as he's going out, he's like, "Wait, wait, come close, come close." Tell, uh, I can't even remember the name, but he just says the name of his butler. He's just like, yeah, just get him, tell him my will is in my desk, and to feed my goddamn dog full boiled chickens only. And he's just like, they all kind of give him a weird look, and he's like, 
that's the name of my butler. Helmet, <laughs> <just talk. laughs> uh, and then he died. Yeah, like it's like one last moment of like, it's my fucking butler, you dumbass. Oh my god. <laughs> and then he's out. It's so good. The thing I didn't really get with this was um, I like the idea of of him actually somehow his presence in the room being required and taking the fall like this. But it's like, I don't know why he had to be inside of a room there. I think the idea was um, in the last few days of the dynasty, right? Like Reinhardt is coming to his close and all that. Uh, there's still some things that people are maybe like a little more iffy on, but Oberstein has kind of managed to weave the fiction that those were all his doing to a certain extent. So by him dying, a lot of the animosity towards Ryan's legacy is going to kind of fall to him, which yeah. may long term make the Empire stand longer. Like, well, I mean, what, I, what of, I mean is like the terror, terror. I mean, did he want to die here? Basically, then that's the idea. Is, okay, did he? I got you. Right? I got like, you. did did he actually? Yeah, was it a no fuck one knows. That's or what the narrator he, was saying. I, I could I could believe that. Yeah. Exactly, yeah, and because the thing too is, is like maybe he was just being cocky, and he was sitting there expecting like the leader would get there, and he could talk shit in their face, like you know Reinhardt to Julian or something, or his plan all along was he needed to die along with the Empire, and especially if he knew Reinhardt was gone, maybe yeah, maybe he just he didn't kind of want figured like my time's at an end, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so back inside the house, uh, Mittmeyer and his family show up. Uh, I guess driving over all the dead bodies in the driveway. Um, they go into Ryan's room where he is awake now. Um, he says the entire reason for calling Mittmeyer, well, his wife and his kid, is so that his son, Alec, would have someone to play with and have a friend. Um, and there's a scene of Felix, Mittmeyer's kid, and Alec, Ryan's kid, uh, playing around. Mittmeyer tries to pull them away from each other when they're playing and gets both of them crying because he's a terrible well, father. That's because he's like, he's like, no, no, don't, don't touch the prince like that, Felix. No, Felix, be nice to the prince. And they're babies. So. Yeah, he pretty much said, he said, Felix, you have to pledge your life to the Kaiser's son. Can you do that? The and kid's like, like I want to touch that his... baby right there. Yeah, he's just kind of like tugging on the baby's sleeve and they're kind of like smiling at each other. And Mittenmeyer's like, no, 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 be polite. And then Reinhardt's like, they're babies, you dumb fuck. <laughs> <laughs> In a uh, very funny exchange, Reinhardt kind of deliriously asks why everybody but Oberstein is there. And I think it was uh, Hildegard lies to him and says uh, he has a compelling reason not to be. Here. Yeah. yeah. And Ryan's just kind of like, that motherfucker always has a compelling reason. What a bitch. And then it's just like, little does he know, it's because he just got fucking blown up. Yeah, it's, it's like really he, he probably didn't even know. He probably didn't even hear the explosion across the manor or whatever. Yeah. Well, especially if he was passed out. Oh, yeah, yeah. 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 So uh, Reinhardt, in his last moments, kind of hopes Hildegard does a good job bringing up their kid. And he says if Alec isn't good enough for the throne, then he shouldn't rule. And then just dies. And uh, everybody around. Yeah. yeah um, Hildegard immediately says to everybody in the room that Ryan did not die from an illness. He just used up all of his lifetime or time... He was up all his life energy or whatever. They were basically just trying to say, like, don't think of this as, like, a fa well, don't remember him dying to illness because they kind of think that is, like, a sign of weakness or yeah. something. But, yeah. Um, Mueller goes out to where Julian and the rest of them are chilling and gives them the news of uh, Reinhardt's death. Uh, says that Alex will soon ascend to the throne. Um, he also reiterates that the agreed-upon terms regarding Iselhorn and Hyacin will be honored. Um, Julian... Uh, yep course gives his condolences uh yeah it specifically states like hey even if we didn't 
agree on our political outlooks and what we think, you know, like the world should be at large. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> My yeah. condolences. Like, you know, the like, hey, and all that. He, he was a powerful guy. Yeah, like, condolences. So uh, he and Kataros are left in the room. Uh, Kataros wonders if Heineson will stay in the hands of democracy, um, seeing how everything's changed so drastically in the last 10, 4 years, etc. Julian says that uh, he kind of laments that they needed 500 years after he- Al Heineson got to Heineson and billions of lives to get this like confirmation of their freedom and autonomy. Uh, he wonders what it would have been like if the people 500 years ago didn't forget that giving unlimited power to one person always ends badly. Yeah, kind of the whole lamentations of just like, don't let dictatorships happen. I know it can be really tempting because it's easy, but... Nah. Just read a history <laughs> book. God, just do it once. Please, please, I know it's boring. Please, I know no one makes history fun to read. Come on, just please. <laughs> Um, there's a quote I put in here because I thought it was good. Politics always takes vengeance on those that belittle it. Um, mm-hmm. Cat Rose asked him, uh, what are you going to do in the future? Are you going to become a politician? He said he doesn't plan on it. And uh, she asked, what, well, what are you going to do? He says he'll stay a soldier and fight against the autocratic galactic empire. And then afterwards, if that's not needed, become a historian to chronicle Yang's life. Um, he thinks that with all that's gone on in the last few years, it's, prudent for him to leave something so future generations can learn from. Uh, Popolon walks into the room, wonders when they're leaving. Julian says in a few weeks when everything gets wrapped up. Uh, Popolon announces that he is instead staying on Fazan, and this is kind of like their goodbye scene, saying that like they should meet when they're older. Mm-hmm. Um, there's Yeah, a, like Popolon kind of does a little bit, oh, by the way, I'm really bad at goodbyes. That's weird. Anyway, see ya. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it was just a thing. weird, awkward goodbye for him because he wasn't really sure how to do it. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, he leaves, and then there's a really awkward shot of Julian and Kataros giving each other fuck eyes. Like, I don't know what they were going with that, but... Uh, outside, uh, Mittmeyer has uh, his kid on his shoulder. Um, he's thinking about... He's thinking how not having anything to do currently is making Ryan's loss harder, like, you know, idle hands. Um, mm-hmm. His kid says the first words, father, to him. Uh, he wonders if the kid will have a future among the stars because the kid was also staring at them. Felix then starts grabbing towards the stars, and this leaves Mittmeyer very conflicted. Um, he says, you too, Felix. As in <laughs> yeah, like, just kind of... It's like, oh, uh, you're going to have a nice, calm life. Maybe you'll be like an architect or a teacher. Or, oh, you want to go to space? God damn it. Oh, you're doing the thing. Oh, uh, no. Like your dad, huh? Just like your dad. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's this conflicted thing of, like, I'm glad that this child is going to be driven. I have concerns because I've seen where this road ended for your dad. <laughs> yeah, and the last line from the narrator is says, uh, that might be an action that has been repeated endlessly in any era, in any world. Humans have always pursued the things they can't reach. And it just kind of fades up into stars to end the series. The legend ends and history begins. Yeah. And, uh... That was it, 110 yeah, that's episodes. That's the end. Yeah. Yep, that was an anime. So, um, I guess general thoughts on it, Ty. Uh, first time through, what did you expect? Did it meet your expectations? or? Uh, yeah, yeah. It, the thing is, it always, it always surprised me with how it would use like literary tools and like different kinds of like writing ideas and not like tropes or cliches or anything but like general setups and you know things like that but then it would just subvert them 
in ways that while being mundane were also satisfying like they were things that were like yeah no that's actually how that probably would shake out wouldn't it and then like they still prove that that is actually more interesting yeah it was like how do you say it It was believable enough but also still unexpected some of the events that happen yeah like i i've seen some people try to do uh narratives and stories where like the whole big twist was like it's nothing it was just regular life and it's like really unsatisfying and really just like well you just wasted my fucking time then didn't you <laughs> uh but this uh was not that this was very much more like here is a large interconnecting socio-political system with a war machine you know behind it on either side here's how it plays out and it also is very realistic about not kind of cartoonishly labeling anyone as like good or evil there is occasional dumbass that is clearly labeled bittenfield but (laughs) other than that like most of the characters aren't super caricature like even shen cop has moments of depth yeah one of the things i think rewatching this that is i don't know if it's because too many especially like you know hbo shows or whatever are very cynical but like compared to something like for example game of thrones like you would see I not having seen this like if you have never seen this before you would expect after for example the end of season two the ceasefire that Yang had against Ryan when he had him dead to rights like if this was an HBO show like that would be going fine and then someone would accidentally press a button and it would be on a huge debacle and everything but the show kind of plays it straight which believable or unbelievable as it is is kind of refreshing compared to some of the media that I have consumed in recent years and they show how reality can really hurt like that example of yang's going in and he has the thing and he can finish this whole war dead to rights but then like politics says no and yang won't defy that because that's all he stands for like the thing is it's it's realistic and it's kind of quote-unquote nothing happened but at the same time it really hurts because you actually feel the loss of you know like yeah his coming especially tactics yeah they characterize his coming to cope with it you know over the next 10 20 episodes yeah, like that nothing was so profound that it fucked with him for ages, you know, and it fucked with everyone else. Like other people were calling shit, you know, for yeah. it. Like, why didn't you do it? Like, what's wrong with you? Like, <laughs> yeah, like Shenkop was visibly upset when he they met after that. Yeah, and it was really big and really huge. And yeah, I like the point that you put it like just it's not super cynical or like inherently negative either it's very human like sometimes like game of thrones is an example it's kind of like okay i get it someone's gonna die everyone's very sad it's like a little too aggressive and all that and this there's a lot of moments of there's a lot of like ennui <laughs> kind of <laughs> here and there just like there's a lot of just like gentle sadness coursing through a lot of stuff like it also the, it also helps because the of the historical like documentary context of the series like these are being mm-hmm. kind of presented as facts after they have happened so in a way the emotion has not left but it isn't as drama as one well, i mean it is but it isn't presented as a drama so much like, if we were taking it on a scale from actual history documentary towards, uh, like, what, what are the, like, um, oh, what's the name for the, uh, the soap operas on the Spanish channel? Telenovelas? Um, te- te- Telemundo, yeah. On a scale from history, actual history documentary to that, I would say it's probably like a three. Like, <laughs> it's a lot more towards the 
more relaxed, chill kind of thing as far as like presentation than it is the very bombastic, over the top stuff. Uh, even though they have huge intergalactic ship battles where things are blowing each other up constantly, I think it says a lot that that to me was generally the most boring part of the yeah. show. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, the show isn't uh, for the battles; it's for the socio political commentary. Yeah, yeah. Um. I guess this one a question I had for G up and I guess myself. Um, any more insights that you had on repeat watching of this? Uh, the numbers made sense and were properly translated, <laughs> <laughs> so the sense of scale didn't wildly fluctuate all over the fucking place. Was that uh, a problem with the first uh, version you watched? Um, do what? Was that a problem with the first version you watched? Yeah, yeah. It's because the that was the only real watch through I ever did, and it was with these. Hong Kong bootlegs that were I don't know how they were translated but the numbers in particular were all over the place like sometimes they would refer to a massive loss of life as a few thousand people when that probably meant ships and then they would mention very few people died and then they would mention a billion soldiers died and I'd be like what? (laughs) And every so often Oberstein would say really weird things like, let that child alone. And they'd refer to Brian as Big Green. It was really bizarre. It's like like I got all the ideas and the general things of what was going along, but the sense of scale was what was really muddled mm. so it's nice that it was consistent and that, and that matters too because yeah. yeah the difference between a thousand people and a thousand ships is what like ten thousand times difference yeah. Yeah, yeah something like that i mean for me i said this before when we did the midway point chat that we had but having become more politically aware in real life in the last uh year or so not to put end dates on there but yeah. Rewatching this has kind of affirmed some of the values, I guess, I had earlier uh, regarding the participation, I guess, in democracy. And mm-hmm. it's interesting to see, especially with kind of like in this last episode, they talked about the apathy of the people on Heineson who had, you know, lost their capital, been conquered and then became a backwater and all that. How it's very easy to like lose sight of what is important in that space. And I don't know, it's seeing stuff like this. I mean, this is like I said at the beginning, I think in the first episode, this entire series is, is it better to live under a corrupt democracy or a benevolent dictatorship? It's, mm-hmm. I don't know, the, what am I trying to get at here? <laughs> I, I know I definitely liked seeing the presentation and the angle of it. And this was like shockingly refreshing to me of democracy is hard democracy is really really yeah it's messy it takes time yeah constitutional parliamentary whatever way you're going to do it republican democracy and and any form of democracy is just so much harder than dictatorships like dictatorships to the individual people is fuck it whatever they're going to do what they're going to do not my problem hands off democracy requires the work and participation and understanding of the people, at least the majority of the people. It requires effort on the peop- the part of the, the citizen. You have to... You exactly. Know, you have to go and learn and involve and teach yourself what's going on, how the shit works, get involved with the issues, participate directly with your representatives. 
And, and it's definitely something that, you know, like I, I, you know, not in the last few years, but when I was younger, you know, I was a good deal younger, you know, the whole thing of like, why don't we just have one person just fucking take the reins and like pass <laughs> the shit through and fix shit. Like it's something I think everyone thinks oh, yeah. of at some point when yeah, you're frustrated e- with easy, democracy. It's like the easy, you know, the easy solution when you see, well, this is clearly wrong. All this stuff here, get one person in there to fix this and then bam, problem solved. And especially if you're younger, you know, and, yeah. and you're trying to first grasp, like, how do you even fix a problem? Especially so when you're college age and you complex. already know everything. <laughs> exactly that, too. Yeah, you do know everything. So, you know, it's definitely the right call to just install a dictator, fix <laughs> yeah. everything. And then, you know, maybe put democracy in afterwards. We'll see how it shakes out. I also really uh, like how a fair amount, not to cut into what you're saying, but um, I also kind of like how, you know, a lot of the what is it, the discussion and what have you on democracy is interesting and in that, I mean, something I've always viewed as Trunet was um, was kind of a, what's the way to describe this? I've always seen Trunet, even though he's a character, he's very much a um, symbolic of, you know, a plague inside a democracy because, you know, you'll have the um, you'll have the weevils, you'll have the folks who are corrupted and what have you and I, I thought it was oh, interesting yeah. that he was around for so long and it's sort of like, you know, much like a cockroach you know, something would come in, the whole the whole government would get wiped away, and then well, still wiggling around in there. Still I would back. go as far as to say, yeah, like, uh, Trunet, Rubinsky, and the terrorists as a whole are probably mm-hmm. all just, like, they're symbols of major threats and issues and, uh, you know, just forces that shape history in one way or another. And, like, Trunet is very much more the using the rules of the system to try and break the system from the inside and get yeah. a hold of it. And Rubinsky is more doing things from the outside and trying to do outside manipulation and things like that to break the system, get inside and get a hold of it. And the terrorists are obviously just blatant acts of terrorism to try and break the system and just fully dismantle it as opposed to, you know, and then install self and do all that mm. stuff. So, yeah. Uh, Which the, yeah, ter- the terrorists could be viewed, you know, not even as just, you know, symbolic of uh, religion. They could be literally like a very powerful lobby group or something of the sort, you know, something that has yeah, the somebody up the top like- who has, you know, not really maybe pure aims. And then you have all the folks who are bandwagoned around that, around very simple issues and just swept up, in, you know, in a zealot sort of people, approach. Yeah, people with ulterior motives that are maybe not actually relevant to the health of, you know, the democratic system mm-hmm. as a whole, but base their entire campaign around that thing. Like, let's say, you know, visiting a very dirty rock in the case of, you know, the terrorists just really caring about Earth, which was nothing in this case. It was, it was yeah. nothing. It was trash. It didn't matter. It didn't have any effect on any of the socio-political political system whatsoever. Uh, you know, and uh, there are definitely single issues that exist today that I would say I can equate to that. <laughs> Pretty <laughs> clean. Yeah. The terrorists yeah. are the ultimate single issue voters. <laughs> yeah. Basically. They just vote with bombs. Yeah. Fucking idiots. Yeah. Don't so, look at me. I voted Trunet. <laughs> But yeah, oh, geez. yeah. So I, I feel like though that that yeah, that's a really good point. I almost wonder like, who else could we consider a symbolic force? Like, I feel like those are the three major ones, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, the whole Lichtenstein alliance, the... I guess, would be the people who say it's been this way for centuries. Why change it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's another yeah. one I could think of. And then I guess Oberstein is kind of also symbolic of a thing, but that's just because of his character is literally Machiavellianism <laughs> in, in in human form. Yeah. 
Um, I guess on that note, who was your favorite character in the series? Shinka. Man. What? Do you have what? Shinka. <laughs> I like Yang, but Shinkop is around so much longer. Uh, I think as far as like quality of writing and influence of the story and the person who I was most constantly interested to see what they were going to do next and how they were going to do it. Oberstein? Like, I think Oberstein is the one that if I had to yeah. give <laughs> the author of this a writing award for one specific character, it would probably have to be Oberstein, I think. Yeah, I agree and with you there. I think that's why he's my favorite. Like, I think as far as, you know, fun personality, it was always fun having him on screen. You know, he did do a lot of very important roles, like when he was trying to, you know, tell Yang shit like, why aren't you, why wouldn't you be a dictator, buddy? Uh, then also, yeah, uh, Shen Kopp is probably a solid number two. I also really like Mittermeier. Like, Mittermeier just feels like the average guy in the middle. Yeah, of he, he feels like an average dude just inserted in there trying to give an everyman view to the story. Yeah, and I, I do I do like that because they never really uh, go out of their way to, or, you know, like the author never tries to elevate Mittermeier above that, right? Like, yeah. it's just kind of that is what he is like he's someone who he's good at his stuff he's competent he's just a regular guy who happens to be a high admiral of a fleet and is pretty fucking good at it yeah like, he's a I, guy who's good at his job <laughs> i think it's just that part of it is he's he's shoulder to shoulder with like roy and and you know uh reinhardt and then everybody else on the other side and it's just among them i don't know how to describe it maybe it's maybe it's um I don't know how to describe it, but I definitely agree with you how he just seems a lot more mundane in ways. He also doesn't have a lot of the ambitions that the other ones had. In the whole, like, a star burning twice as bright, you know, burns out twice as as fast kind of thing, like, he just seems like the most stable and reasonable and close to, I don't want to say the norm because, (laughs) you know, the norms are boring, but, like, the average expected what you do throughout your life. Yeah, like like when they moved the capital of Pheasant, how he's like, fuck, I haven't seen my wife in, like, a year. God damn it. (laughs) As opposed to Royenthal, who's just sort of like, I've got a baby on the way. I don't fucking care. And then then Reinhardt, who's like, no, I will not fuck anyone. (laughs) And then Yang, who's like, (laughs) 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 so you have to deal with those. And then you have Mittermeier, who's just like, yeah, I fucked my wife. It's cool. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> doesn't doesn't freak out about it at all. I also yeah, gotta give out a special props to uh, Bukak. He uh, doesn't have a lot of scenes in this series, but every scene he's in is good. Yeah. I think and the Baker guy has, really um, plays well with him as well. Oh, shout outs to Kazern's wife. Yeah, Kazern's wife too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she like again, she's one of them who I think she only shows up in like maybe. Five. With, like, a speaking part, like, five or six times? Yeah. Like, not that often. But every time, man, she gets that Midwest mom backhanded advice better than <laughs> anybody. It is tight. Like, it is so good. Um, I guess moving on, the next one I have, what was your favorite moment in the series? Uh, I'd, uh, if I could go first, I could think of two for different reasons. As far as just... Cool- how, how about you bookend us? How about you, okay. you You show one and then show the end? Yeah. Well, the, the action one that I could think of in general was the whole thing of uh, rescuing Yang and then getting him off the planet. Like, you know, when uh, the Rosen Ritters basically blocked off an entire stairwell and they were oh, kidnapping yeah. that, like- uh, that general dude guy. Just that entire sequence of the Rosen Ritters just, you know, being an act of God 
and nobody being able to handle it. It was fantastic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got two as well. Um, I guess I'll go with the first or one of them. The uh, scene of Oberstein basically talking to Bittenfield at towards the end of the series, saying why he's rounding up the political prisoners. Um, the fact that he gives these arguments that are pretty much airtight the entire time and calls them idiots for trying to rely on honor and throwing people's lives away. Because, like, I mean, as you said before, he's the embodiment of the Machiavellian method, and it's it's refreshing almost to have someone as I guess ideologically pure in that regard. Cause like a lot of people have ends justify the means. And I feel like a lot of media will do this until a certain point. Like what is this person's breaking point of when they can't mm-hmm. stop? But he really did not ever have one. He went and all the other in. thing is usually when people do the whole ends justify the means thing for a character in, in, in fiction, I usually see them go towards, you know, their own self-serving evil ends, which also justify their evil self-serving means, as opposed to Overseen, who is, like, supporting, you know, the Empire, trying to improve government, yeah. like, to the point of later on, it seems like he's even willing to just straight up say, like, I will fuck over Ryan if I think it's better for the country. Like, he's basically said Yeah, that. like, he wasn't trying to serve the government to get himself a better position. He was serving the government because he felt he needed to serve the government for that yeah, he was, he, he was like truly Machiavellian to the point of like, again, it, he, he wasn't serving himself. He was serving the nation. He just happened to 1000% believe the ends justified the means. Whereas in other media, it's like the ends are, I have a million dollars and the means are feeding you to sharks. Like, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, Overstein is kind of the, uh, inversion of that. Um, and, on that note, my favorite. I'm, I'm guessing. Uh, not, not sorry. Sorry to cut in real fast, but I just wanted to <laughs> say something to Kuva. I'm guessing you also like that scene because right after he said that, uh, Bittenfeld kangarooed over the fucking desk and tried to choke him out. <laughs> <laughs> it is funny. Yes. Sorry, Ty. Go ahead. No, no. Yeah, uh, my favorite moment is shocking everyone. Also, overseen, uh, and it is. Uh, it, it was the whole discussion. Uh, leading up to and then the event itself and then after of um oh no there's no way we'd be able to get a fleet out in time to stop the nukes and then he turns around and says oh no we launched the recording probe like an hour ago that'll make it <laughs> like that whole thing of oh no i strapped a gopro on the front of that ship it's out there <laughs> the, yeah the underhanded like letting the people get nuked for yeah, that's, you know, that's what I realized the series was going to go to... places. Like, yeah. I think it may have been that scene. That was definitely the moment where the stakes were real to me. Because before that, a lot of it was like, 100,000 people died in this combat, and 500,000 people died in this combat, and this many spaceships blew up. And I was like, okay, okay. But, you know, like, I see enough war media. You know, I play fucking, you know, everything. So the whole death tolls or whatever kind of, like, felt, you know, fake or placid mm-hmm. or whatever to me. Because, you know, they don't show it. It's just like... Here's a panning shot of a bunch of ships. Just trust us. Millions of people died. Uh, that one was more like, hey, we're having a discussion about whether or not we want to save a bunch of innocent people. And I really want you to go, no. But hear me out. <laughs> like, it's that kind of situation yeah. set up, which is beyond fucked up. Like, it's the first time someone has something that I feel is both not moral it's like not morally ambiguous it's morally very clear it's more ambiguous as to what is the right decision 
when morals aren't being taken into account, right? Yeah. Like, that's the whole thing. It, it's the first real presentation of Oberstein is, I, he just doesn't care, right? Like, for him, it's just all about the results, whereas Reinhardt has some form of, you know, moral driving compass. And it's the first time that that really came into conflict, and it came into conflict in a great way. Such a spectacular yeah. and important major way. Uh, and the fact that you know, afterwards, Oberstein kind of pulled it off. And long term, it's like, maybe that was right. Like, it's so morally and it, like, it's not again, it's not morally ambiguous. It's clearly wrong to let millions of people die to nuclear bombs. Yeah, <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, it's yeah. clearly not the morally correct thing to do. There is no righteousness in this plan. Um, but then, you know, like you kind of look at the long-term results of how it's shaken out. And if there is stability and peace, like, was it worth it? Would it have taken longer? This, that, the, uh, like it's, yeah, this big nightmarish discussion. And, um, it, it was the first time that I felt like there was just a really strong, like mental conflict or like an ideological conflict that was so clearly being presented and that both people, were not willing to stand down for. And it was also internal too, right? Yeah. It was like the first time that it wasn't just democracy versus dictatorship. It was dictatorship versus other methodology of implementing said dictatorship, which is also not something you really think about a whole lot, right? Like it's really easy to think about good versus evil. It's hard to think about, you know, I mean, good versus different good or evil versus different evil. And things don't really like media doesn't present that a lot. Yeah. Ryan for uh, being a dictator did have a sense of honor and I guess decency to him, but he had his own weird moral system. Yeah. And it, uh, he, he stuck with it and he followed through with it. And, you know, his response at first was like, fuck no. And then Oberstein kind of like started running him through it. And he was like, fuck no. Like trying to say <laughs> fuck no, but, you know, kind of being like, oh, I think he might be right. You know, that kind of situation. Um, but yeah. My other was, one, I guess, for, I don't know if you wanted to go again, but my other one was uh, Bucock's final stand. Um, the speech oh, he gave hmm. to uh, Reinhardt in the toast of democracy in his final moments. Um, I had to admit the first time I watched that, I got a bit teary-eyed about it, especially because Reinhardt was so visibly conflicted about the order. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, that yeah, was that scene is definitely great. a scene that stood out to me in the first time going through. Yeah. Um, yeah. For my second scene, it's a lengthier part as well, but it was basically the entire episode when uh, Royenthal was dying just because he was uh, all the shit he went through and just how he cleaned house and then, you know, dropped Trunet as well. Just, you know, that <laughs> just the entire episode I really enjoyed. Yeah, the way the way Ruenthal decided to go out as someone who was like falsely being claimed traitorous in a way that he almost wanted to like he knew he was going to die, he knew he was going to lose, but he wanted to retain his pride and his honor while still clearing his name to a certain extent. Yeah, it's like, well, I'm on the clock till five o'clock, may as well go. <laughs> and also ordering right the deaths of millions of soldiers, but that too. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the thing about the series that like you say, like, well, he was, still had some honor and shred about, but at the same time, he, at the end of the day, he's still a murderer. I mean, that's yeah. everybody in this series, really. I mean, as cool as Sean Cop is, that guy is a mass murderer. Oh yeah. He, yeah. he killed a shitload of people. <laughs> so, yeah, and like, but he did Yang, it with an ax. It was really impressive. Yeah. Yang didn't want to fire the Thor's hammer. That doesn't mean he didn't do it. Yeah. <laughs> like he's still fucking dead. Yeah. Yeah. So there is still, I, I think that, that early, element. and then of course you have 
self-preservation debates, you know, like, oh, well, they were going to get killed if they didn't, you know, this, that, the other. And it's almost like Legend of the Galactic Heroes is a series about presenting a lot of moral quandaries without ever giving you clear answers and kind of forcing you to think of them on your own. Yeah, and I guess... On, Weird! <laughs> Weird! I, I guess that. on that note, then, uh, how what do you think of the ending to this? I remember the first time I watched through the series, I was kind of upset because it really doesn't conclude so much. I mean, yes, Ryan dies and they get that, but I was like, well, where is it going to go from here? But, like, through my second walkthrough, I was like, you know what, this is actually a good spot to leave it with the ambiguities and with the kind of illusion of what may happen to, say, some of the kids in the future. Yeah, for for me personally, uh, as, as the newbie of the group, uh, I definitely left it after we watched it and it felt a little empty and it felt a little hollow at first and I was, like, a little disappointed. I was like, man, really? That's it? Uh, but then I was thinking about it like all day today and I was just kind of like, you know what though? Like what else would they have shown? Right? Like, well, where would they have gone from here? This is the place it needed to end was in this kind of, you know, unstable, but still like the setup is there for Mm -hmm. a new democracy. Yeah. Like it's, it's hopeful. There's a chance for coexistence. Like the political system has shaken out in a semi-realistic manner and like, Hilda's going to be in charge and then all that stuff. And it's like, yeah, I mean, what else would they have shown from here, right? Like, I guess yeah. that's kind of the big thing is, like, this is the setup. They they posed their question and they never answered it, but that's because this show isn't about answering it. It's about posing a question, presenting you a tale and a lot of information, and then saying, well, how do you feel about it? So, like, if they had kind of given, you know, a wrap-up ending of just, like, yay, Reinhardt died, and he said, democracy can win now, hooray, everybody, like, that would kind of undermine the whole thing, right? Like, it's the whole thing of, if they ever did announce they were making a season two of this series, like, now that I've seen it and thought about it, I would be livid. I would actually be really mad. If they were like, season two, Legend of the Galactic Heroes, I'd be like, you missed the whole point of Legend of the Galactic (laughs) Heroes. (laughs) Uh... I guess that can get into the last question I have for us. Um, watching through the series, of the people that survived to the end, do you think they're in a better place, like, in the world? Do you think it was worth it all, all the sacrifices that both sides had to make to get there? There are some people... There are some people... Oh, the war is who, over. There are people who value human life above all other things, Kubo. And there are people who do not value human life above all other things. And when those two people meet, that therein lies the conflict that creates war. Um, so in conclusion, Legend of Galactic Heroes is an anime of contrasts. <laughs> it is a... <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> I hate this. It's like poetry. It rhymes. <laughs> oh, man. Get better J-pop for the opening. God. Okay, yeah, there. There's the one thing. Please do better music for the openings. <laughs> the ending was good because it's it was a very good singer from the 80s, but the openings, no. I did like, in what was the one? It was always like with young, dried dry up voice. eyes or something? Young, dry voice. <laughs> a dry voice, yeah. That was, that lyric, that stuck with me because it never made sense. <laughs> it was the one thing, like, do they mean Oberstein delivery? Well, yeah, regardless. <laughs> Um, I guess the one thing I want to talk about before, before, you know, we, if we, you know, I want to make sure this gets out of here. How do you feel about Oberstein and what he did? What, what Oberstein do you agree did with? nothing what do you wrong. With? Mm. 
<laughs> I think it's interesting the way Oversteins carried throughout the series because uh, it, there's like a the one thing I could think of of his that was objectively an odd decision was near the end when he rounded up all of Yang's supporters. Other than that, a lot of the stuff that he did, it seemed almost like he knew the way it was going to go ultimately, like the way he always needled and picked at Royenthal. It was because he knew that there was something about Royenthal that would make him betray Reinhardt. And even though he hounded him a lot and, you know, um, um, Lang was a huge part of that, it still, it turned out to be true. He knew deep down that Royenthal was going to betray him. And hey, there he goes. He did it. So, and like the question of, yeah, and then the question then becomes like, you know, like, would he have betrayed him without Oberstein's prodding? Like, would I don't think so. Would it have taken that? Yeah, exactly. And it's like he may, it's almost as if he was like, OK, there is a possibility that it could happen, even if it's incredibly small. Got to weed it and, out. And I think I think that also like that that character trait of wanting to be so precise and complete with cleaning out anyone who could stand against him, which again is, by the way, the most Machiavellian thing. <laughs> um, I mean, he does that multiple times, right? Like when he talks about the whole grass mowing and then what was the other one? Like dusting the bookshelves mm-hmm. or something like all of his, yeah, all of his operations of just removing the people who had any kind of chance of standing against him. And then like, you know, obviously capturing them and rounding them up to use them as leverage for the trade was again a very not honorable but, but very efficient. smart and good for the yeah. people move and in that case it also happened to save lives which i by the way i really love that in one of oberstein's last acts they really flipped the script on it because a lot of the other ones were like oh a lot of people are gonna die because of you doing this and he's like well a lot of people are gonna die if i don't do it and there's that but that was the one time that it was very clearly like no, no one's going to die if I do this. A shitload of people are going to die if I don't. Fuck you guys. <laughs> like, it was the one time where Oberstein was, like, cl- kind of clearly in the right. Yeah, and that's what makes extent. that scene with him and Bittenfield really good. Exactly, yeah. It's the first time that it's just clearly, like, no, dog, you're being a butt. Like, you're being <laughs> you're being crazy and wanting people to die for no fucking yeah, reason. Yeah, that was really good. <laughs> yeah. I just mean, like, like, the only thing I thought was unplanned of his was that whole riot thing, because it seemed like usually his decisions and things were airtight and that just kind of i don't know i think that was the terrorist element right like that's what a lot a lot of times the terrorist element was the which calculation uh, right are you referring to because there are some uh when they rounded up all of the yang supporters and there was the riot and several thousand oh, at died the prison? uh mirai went into a coma all that stuff Oh, the prison the one, one where yeah. the terrorist had snuck in weapons and like tried to rebel rouse and stuff like yeah. that because it was a bunch of older dudes and then like still there was a riot because of it and that kind of yeah like the terrorists kind of universally are the oops we forgot factor to the point of the <laughs> people keep forgetting out, about the terrorists I don't get it yeah and like the series even like does I, okay the series doesn't do goofs on it the series accidentally does goofs on it when they're just like yup and there's that yup there's me the document containing all the information about the terrorists you might be wondering how I got here and how I'm still not fucking red three weeks later like it's, that floppy it's disk ridiculous. is still on the Ulysses someplace in like a cabinet and no one's ever gotten it no one's ever gonna look at no one's ever gonna find out that information it's amazing like Julian's gonna be going through shit for his like chronicle of Yang and be like what's all this 
oh god damn it <laughs> it's gonna be like the worst day for him when he realizes oh god damn it if we had all just read books we would have actually yeah. like, it's like 450 like on a friday and you're like well i'm gonna leave early just a little bit and you step out the door one minute later you get an email that says emergency read right now you don't notice it until monday morning you're like oh fuck legend of galactic heroes read your goddamn emails <laughs> one sec, one sec, before before we leave, on the note of read your goddamn emails, hold up Gmail. How many unread emails does Ty's one email? Uh, hey, right, if you 6, like what you're hearing, please leave a review. Unread emails. <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> I don't need I don't need to read them. I, I can see they're bad. It's not hard. I see Best Buy at the top, and I'm like, well, that's garbage. And then I see like something else, like trash. Or for a while there, like Twitch didn't let you turn off notifications, oh, no. and I wanted to follow people because I wanted to know when they were live and stuff. But then I just would get emails, including when I went live. A lot of them. Oh, I, I probably that, have a good. Yeah. Of those 6,705 emails, I bet at least 200 of them are Ty Tuesday has gone live. And then there's probably another 500 that are from the streaming site I used before, Twitch, of Ty Tuesday has gone live. <laughs> um, Fuck emails. Smash so guest, please come back. I guess to finish this out, regarding the podcast, <laughs> did you guys want to do anything else after this? I, I don't, uh, I'm going to bed this after this. Well... Yeah. I, <laughs> right after the hitting uh I had a couple plans I wanted to go to. Um, if, if you aren't following uh, pod underscore gh on Twitter, uh, definitely do that because if there is another podcast involving one of our members, I'm going to ask that it be put on there at some point. We're just going uh, to rewatch little, the series again. We're just going <laughs> to, yeah, actually, just once a year, we're going to redo this. It's it's going to be like that uh, podcast where they watch Paul Blart once a year and review it, except. <laughs> Way more effort and also the exact opposite of Paul Blart Malk. <laughs> the actual exact, this is it. Yeah, we I guess we need an antithesis to this. It's a Paul Blart Malkop. <laughs> yeah, if Paul Blart Malkop, god damn it, it's even hard to say. Tune in next Mark time Pod Paul Blart I said before, those four words are the funniest words you could ever put together in any permutation. Well, if Malshart Ballplop fucking touched a copy of Legend of the Galactic Heroes, I'm pretty sure it would cause a horrible explosion. It would be like antimatter and matter meeting. Tune in next time of Pod GH, where the P stands for Paul Blart Mall Cop. <laughs> Paul Wart. Paul Fall Gop. <laughs> oh, is that, the movie where, is that the movie where he fucks Cuber? <laughs> No, that's Pixels. You're leaving that that's in, right? Pixels. It's a different guy who fucks Cubert. I know. Yeah, no, no. He fucks Cubert because uh, Cubert turns into a sexy lady to make his nerd dream come true. But then in the end, post credit stinger, there's a bunch of Cubert babies in a crib, which implies to me that he's still Cubert. Also, the Cubert had only come into existence a few days before all of this. And at one point earlier on, I had the intelligence of maybe a three or four year old and in fact did piss itself when it got a tiny bit scared. And the guy fucked and had kids with that. Um, Oberstein so, would have nipped that fucker in the bud. Oberstein would never fuck Hubert. <laughs> <laughs> Space anime! <laughs> I said nipped in the bud, not fucked in the bud. <laughs>
Good afternoon, everybody. What a